Hi, my name is Andrea Bumstead and I am a member at Restore Temecula. If you are new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help in any way, please visit our website at www.RestoreTemecula.com and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android App Store. With all of that said, we hope you enjoy the message. really sweet. Um, it's actually really true that if there's ever an opportunity to be in Temecula, I will take it. <laughs> um, this church like, has genuinely been like such a blessing to me. I remember uh, when I first came to California right after COVID in 2020, um, Tom and Eb invited me out to come to one of the gospel community leaders gatherings. And there were quite a few of you there, but um, Paul and Lindsay were there and Mike and Marla were there. And uh, I think the Logues were there too. And I just have never had a time when I've visited Restored Temecula and haven't felt like I get so much more than I ever give. Um, people, I remember that night specifically was so impactful for me because like you guys prayed for me and you prophesied over me and you just spent time with me and you heard my story. And some of those prophetic words, some of those prayers are still prayers that have seen me through really hard seasons of my life and really seasons where I, I needed faith and I didn't know where to get it. And I, and I got it from this family, even though I was like thousands of miles away. And so um, you guys really are, have been such a blessing in my journey. So thank you, Tom and Eb and Herrick and Heather for making this space for me to be here. So I appreciate it. Um, so like Tom said, my name is Maria. And like Herrick said, um, your church, Restored Temecula, is part of a broader family of churches called the Restored Family of Churches. And one thing that we do as a family of churches is we partner together to make disciples and see new churches started, not just locally, but also globally. And which is how you and I are connected. I am one of the Restored Family of Churches International Gospel Partners. So just six months ago, um, in April, the Restored Family of Churches actually recommissioned me uh, to make disciples in the nation of India. Now you might be wondering, Maria, how in the world did you end up in India? Um, great question. Thanks for asking. Um, my story of moving to India really begins with my story of following Jesus. Some of you here uh, might already know this part of my story, but me becoming a Christian was when I was about 14 or 15 years old uh, with a prompting or an unexpected desire that I now 100% attribute to the Holy Spirit to go to church. Um, I didn't have a Christian background. I didn't know any Christians. Um, so I ended up essentially going to my public school and using their computer and Googling church. Um, when I went to Google church, uh, my Google results resulted in one uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to my right and a Christian church to my left. Spoiler alert, I went left. Um, and as a result, I ended up in a church like this one in some ways, where I heard the gospel for the first time and where I became, became increasingly captivated and drawn to the person and the work of Jesus. Fast forward about a year into my discipleship journey, and I found myself on my first international mission trip in the Panama jungle. If you've heard my story, which again, many of you here have, you know that on this trip, a couple of significant things happened for me. The first was that the team I was with and I saw God completely restore the sight of a blind woman the first week of the trip. 
And the second moment was when we were going hut to hut, doing the missionary thing, when we arrived at one specific straw hut where God changed the trajectory of my life forever. When we arrived at this specific hut, uh, it belonged to a woman who was kind of decked out in tribal gear, sitting crisscross alone on her dirt floor. In one hand, she held a carving knife, in another hand, a piece of wood. Now, I thought, of course, it's a souvenir or a gift for a grandkid, but our translator went on to explain that it was actually her God for the day. So if her day went well, she would keep it, and if her day didn't go well, well, she'd cover a new one the next day. Again, I had only been a follower of Jesus for a very short time. My theology wasn't very developed or mature by any means, but what I did know was that I had just encountered a God who was powerful enough to heal the blind and deeply loving enough to bridge the gap between heaven and earth to know and love and see and hear and save a very lost 15-year-old girl. And at that moment, I was convicted of the reality that God, through Jesus, had already done everything that this wooden statue could never do for this woman. So I went home after that trip, and with Google's help, of course, I began to learn about places in the world where billions of people have no or very little access to the gospel. Meaning that it is very unlikely that they will meet a Christian or hear the gospel in their lifetime unless someone from outside goes to them. And this realization that there were billions of people that had no way to hear the gospel set my life on a trajectory that would eventually land me in India as a missionary. And although today I'll be using myself and my story in India as an example, the reality is that while we aren't all called to move across the globe, we are all called to mission. Or said a different way, we are all called to live missional lives. Jesus, in the beginning moments of his ministry, when he called his first followers, his first words were, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. A few years later, in his last days, his last words were, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus begins and ends his earthly ministry by making it clear that the call to follow him is also always a call to live in such a way that others would come to know him. So how do we do this? How do we live the kind of missional lives that Jesus calls us to? And this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to answer this question, what does a missional life look like? So my two points today are that a missional life is a present life, and a missional life is a prioritized life. Again, my two points are that a missional life is a present life, and a missional life is a prioritized life. So let's start with the first. A missional life is a present life. If you have Bibles, you can turn with me in Exodus to Exodus chapter 3, which is where we're going to be today. So a little bit of context. At this point in the biblical story, the Israelite nation or the descendants of Abraham, whom God had promised to bless and multiply, were living in the land of Egypt under an oppressive ruler as slaves. And the Israelites, well, they had been praying that God would rescue them. And the scriptures tell us that God was actually attentive to their prayers for deliverance from this foreign nation. And so the story we're about to read is God actually responding to their prayers by initiating the plan to rescue them by partnering with a man named Moses. And this encounter that Moses has with God in the desert becomes the catalyst 
for the life of mission that God has chosen for him. And so Moses today, he's going to be a picture for us of what it looks like to live the missional life that we are talking about today. Are you ready? All right. So verse one. Meanwhile, meaning while the Israelites were praying for deliverance from Egypt, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Moses, in a flame of fire within a bush. And as Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? And when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. So a few observations. First, we read that Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. In other words, Moses was just going about his daily business when he met God. He was being faithful to his father-in-law and to his commitments. Moses was not on a mission trip or at a church gathering or at a monastic center removed from society. Moses was simply doing his job. In the same way, for most of us, a missional life begins with simply being faithful and present to the home and the city and the town and career and people that make up the life that we are already living. If we look at our lives and the places we find ourselves, like the grocery store we frequent or the Starbucks drive-thru or your local coffee shop, if you're fancy like that, or a neighbor kid's birthday party or at our weekly gospel community, All of these places have the potential to be spaces of encounter with God, either for ourselves or for others. This moment in Moses' life teaches us that we can encounter God in our ordinary daily lives and daily duties, and not only can we, but we should expect to. Second observation. God was already present in the moment and the place when Moses showed up. Meeting Moses that afternoon was God's idea, not Moses' idea. Moses didn't come up with it. Moses simply walked into it. Let's read verse 2 again. It says, Moses looked and he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. We see in this story that all Moses did in the midst of his daily life was have the eyes to see that God was already there. In other words, he was attentive instead of distracted. And so he was able to see God already at work. I wonder if it's possible that many of us miss moments of encountering God for ourselves and others, not because God is not present, but because we're not. I wonder how Exodus 3 would be different if Moses' sight was captivated elsewhere. What if Moses was not attentive to the direction of his attention? What if Moses missed the moment? A few weeks ago, um, I was feeling a bit discouraged because in my context, in urban India, where I'm trying to make disciples, sharing the gospel can feel complicated. If you share with the wrong person at the wrong time or in the wrong setting, you can risk getting kicked out of the country permanently, which is not ideal. 
Um, and secondly, I had kind of maxed out like my existing relationships and I wanted new people to disciple and to invite into what we were hoping will become a gospel community. And in my discouragement and disappointment, I remember asking God, like, where am I going to find more people? <laughs> and that's kind of a humorous question when you live in a city of 10.8 million people, uh, because there's people literally everywhere. <laughs> um, but a, two, a day or two later, uh, I was sitting at a coffee shop waiting for a friend. And I had intentionally been practicing not putting my headphones in in public places, um, trying to put this idea of being present into practice in a way that was actually challenging for me. You know, I tend to be one of the people who prefers to be like listening to a podcast or music in moments of quiet. And I had felt God challenge me uh, to set that aside. So I'm at this coffee shop. I'm waiting for my friend, no headphones in, chilling. And as I was waiting, I hear the guy about two tables down from me, say really loudly, I just want to go back to church. <laughs> and again, I'm in the middle of my city at a random coffee shop. And I'm like, okay, like this is as good of a setup for an evangelistic moment as we're going to get, you know? Um, and I think at first I was in shock. You know, like as Christians, we know that God answers our prayers, but sometimes still, like when he does, we're kind of surprised, you know? Hopefully that's not just me. Um, and so I struck up a conversation with this guy and his friend, and we exchanged numbers, and I'm hoping that God will knit them into our growing family. Another situation similar to this was at my local gym, another place where, to be honest, I prefer to have my headphones in and do my own thing. Um, but there was a couple who I just like kept seeing them, like, all the time. And so one day I decided I should just introduce myself. So it ended up turning out that they were my neighbors who lived two doors down from me. And this night might not seem miraculous at first, but I live in basically, like, a society, which is more like an apartment complex, and there are about 11 apartment towers that are each, like, 30 floors tall. And they're, throughout all these towers, about 2,500 apartments. That's roughly 10,000 people, you know? And this one couple who I kept seeing were my neighbors. That's crazy. And since we've met, our relationship has like slowly developed. I even nicknamed the wife the mayor. I think she's into it. <laughs> because she seems to know everyone in our society. And they haven't come to know Jesus yet, but we started having conversations around Hinduism and Christianity, and I'm praying that God would bring them to himself, and they would become people of peace, or people who come to know Jesus and become real evangelists in our society. What I want you to see in both of these situations is that I genuinely did nothing but pray and then be present, sometimes reluctantly, in a place where God already was. I share this because to live missionally to quote a pastor you might know, named Tom Logue, often God doesn't need our strategies as much as we need his presence. A missional life begins and ends with being present to what God has already gone before us to do. Because the truth is that God is already at work in our world. We are not God's starting point for mission. He is. God is already at work in the life of that mom you run into at school drop-off and pick up every day. Or that coworker whose desk happens to have been by yours for months. Or that barista you see regularly. 
or that dad at soccer practice that would probably be down to chat if we chose to strike up a conversation. When people think of a missional life, often many of us can feel overwhelmed because we think it means adding more things to our schedule. But a missional life for most of us is not so much about adding to our schedule as much as it is about being attentive to the life we are already living. Third observation. God responded to Moses responding. Verse three says, so Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? And when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, then God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. God saw that Moses looked and then God called out to him. God responded when he saw that Moses responded to him. And in the verses after this, that's when God actually commissions Moses to his missional life of freeing the Israelites from their oppressor. This moment, what it shows us is that God is looking for a certain kind of person. God is looking for those who are looking for him, who are already prepared for the moments when he moves. People like Peter in Acts 10, who received a vision from the Lord while he was waiting in line for lunch. The scripture says that Peter was perplexed by the vision and he pondered the things and then God spoke to him. In the next chapter, this moment and vision ends up being a catalyst for the existing church accepting that Gentiles, people like you and me who aren't Jewish, have also been granted access to God. People like Mary, who when visited by prophets and angels, the scriptures say that she stored up the things in her heart that she was told about the son whom she would give birth to. And through the pondering and the storing up of these things and thoughts up in her heart, God gave her the strength and the wisdom necessary to raise up a son who would become the savior of the world. All of these people, be it Moses or Paul or Mary, were normal, flawed, imperfect people who saw God move in their lives and others simply because they were people who were available to God and who, when God spoke to them, chose to ponder the things of God and wait on God and be present to God. Another word for pondering uh, is meditating. The reality is most of us in our lifetime, unfortunately, probably won't have a flaming fire bush show up in our office or an angel appear to us in our home. If you do, tell me about it. But God has given us something so much better. He's given us his word and his wisdom through his Holy Spirit. Part of being present to our life and to God is meditating and memorizing the things that God has already said and done so that we're able to actually recognize who he is. If I'm honest, I have a long way to go with getting to a place where the things that I occupy my mind, the things I meditate on are more the things of God than not. Practically, for many of us, this looks like removing things from our life that are keeping us from being present, be it digital distraction or over-consuming content or the news or Netflix or whatever new thing is drawing us away from being the kind of people who are looking for God. So again, my first point is that a missional life is a present life. The more that we are present to the presence of God, already at work in our world and our life, the more we are likely to make the most 
of the missional moments that come our way. Let me say that again. The more that we are present to the presence of God already at work in our world and our life, the more we are likely to make the most of the missional moments that come our way. On to my second point. My second point is that a missional life is a prioritized life. Um, when I was moving to India in April, uh, I came to a place uh, where I became very aware and convicted about the quality of my health. Um, I had been overweight most of my entire life and I felt like God was calling me to be a better steward of my physical body. Um, so I decided that while I moved my life halfway across the world uh, to also simultaneously go on a weight loss journey. Now, I know you're asking yourself, how does one even begin to lose weight and improve their health in the land of kebabs, curry, and tandoori chicken? <laughs> Carefully. Um, but in all seriousness, like I knew that if I was actually going to follow through, then I was going to have to make my health journey a priority. I would have to orient my life around the goal of losing weight and improving my health. And here's the thing. Making this a priority, it impacted every single area of my life. It changed what I ate and when I ate. It changed what time I went to sleep and what time I woke up. It impacted my daily rhythms and even the content I consumed. Like as I navigated the reality of trying to learn like how I could eat in such a way that would complement my workouts and ultimately lead to weight loss. But when I began to make these small changes towards this week by week, Slowly but surely, I began to change. And if I'm honest, the change was often and is often slower than I want. And there were days, let's be honest, weeks, when I struggled to keep going. There's a lot of garlic not in India, it's good. <laughs> but as I saw results slowly, it gave me hope for the type of person that I was becoming. Making it a priority and orienting my life around improving my health that impacted every single aspect of my life and it changed me and is changing me. In the same way, if we want to live missional lives where people are encountering Jesus through us, we have to make a life oriented around the way and the life of Jesus a priority. Yes. There's a story in the scriptures of two sisters that you might be familiar with. The scene opens in the book of Luke when the two sisters open their homes to Jesus and his disciples one afternoon as they were traveling. Jesus, he accepts their invitation, he comes in, he sits down, and he begins to teach. Now, it can be easy in our familiarity to quickly fly by this formational moment. But make no mistake, this was no ordinary teacher. This was the Lamb of God in their living room giving them the words of eternal life. And even after a long time of travel, he took the time to sit and teach. In response, one sister began by being busy, doing all that she felt needed to be done, but she was distant and distracted. Meanwhile, we read that her sister responds by sitting before Jesus and listening to every word that he was saying. One prepared her home, while the other prepared her heart. Each of them had their priorities. What are yours? Jesus responds to one sister by saying, few things are needed, 
or indeed only one, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. We will never regret orienting our life around the person and the work and the wisdom and the life of Jesus. And making him a priority will look different for each and every one of us. But just like my weight loss journey, as we make small intentional changes to making Jesus the goal and the joy of our life, slowly but surely, he will change us. And our lives will begin to look more and more like him. And the people around you will notice, including those that don't know Jesus, that you are more joyful, that you are more kind, that you live differently than the world around you, that you aren't as tossed to and fro by the world, but you are at peace because of Jesus. In our tradition, we call this process sanctification. The idea that God through his Holy Spirit is transforming and shaping us into the likeness of his son. This was God's missional strategy to make people that look more and more like him. And the only difference between those who increasingly look like him and those that don't are the choices that we make and the priorities that we have. I mentioned uh, at the beginning of my journey that my journey of following Jesus began when God moved towards me as a young 15-year-old girl when I knew nothing about God. And this story, it's not just my story, but in a lot of ways, it's all of our story. As Christians, we worship a God who moved towards us and is moving towards us still. Every single other religion in the world is man's search for God. But ours is one where our God came in search of us. When we were lost and dead in our trespasses and sin, separated from a holy God, destined to die and remain dead, he did not leave us that way. Instead, our God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. We are saved by grace. And so hear me when I say that our motivation for mission is never to curry favor with God or to make him love us more or gain his approval. We already have all of that because of Jesus. Instead, our motivation for mission is that he loved us first. He made the first move. So let that truth fuel your heart and motivate you to move towards those in your life that God has so intentionally placed there. In each and every one of our lives, right now, there are people who are loved and lost. Will you go to them? And if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, the same is true for you. God, through Jesus, has already made a way for you to be reconciled to him and set you free from your own sin and the burdens of this world. That you, in surrender to him and his life and his way and his wisdom and his truth, might find the life that is truly life. And if that's you, I know that Tom, Herrick, and the other elders or staff would love to pray with you. Let's pray.
God, I thank you that you are a God who moved towards us. That you are a God who is all loving, all good, all holy, and who invites us every day to know the life that is truly life more deeply and surely and confidently. Have your way in us. Amen.